text of this verse. And hmm. But we know from the New Testament that it too is a reference to Jesus. So today we're going to be looking at some more of the promises of God found in the Old Testament. And the first promise we're going to look at is, is the prediction about where Jesus was going to be born, where Jesus was going to be born. Where you're born in this world actually has quite a strong bearing on your life, doesn't it? Some people are born into wealthy, prosperous homes in wealthy, prosperous countries. And other people are, are born into dire poverty in places where there are not the kind of freedoms we enjoy here. Others are killed in the womb before they even make it out. But the circumstances of our birth are completely beyond our individual control. Did anybody here have a say in where they'd be born? Let's try this one. Anybody pick their parents? We can pick our friends, but we can't pick our parents. And let's face it, for some people, honoring your mother and father is a little bit harder for some than others. But Jesus played a role in picking where he'd be born, when he'd be born, and who his folks would be. And that's all foretold in the Old Testament. Jesus was around a long, long time before he was born on Christmas Day. That just represented him changing from his heavenly state, where he was the pre-incarnate Word of God from all eternity. Christmas is about Jesus moving from that state to being a human being, and that was planned. And he picked his mother and she was picked because of her great humility and because of her character. Jesus and the Father, they would have surveyed, right, we need somebody in Bethlehem or we'll get them there anyway. You know, come up with that census plan. Mary was chosen to be the mother of Jesus because of her character. And Mary sings about how she's blown away by the fact that God would choose a nobody like her to be the mother of the Messiah. The place where Jesus would be born is also prophesied, promised in the, the prophet Micah's fifth chapter. Talks about, hey, you, Bethlehem, though you're small and nothing, out of you is one who is going to be ruler over Israel. And then this is what makes a reference to Christ, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So Jesus picked his parents, he picked when he'd be born, where he'd be born, and he was born into humble circumstances. There was nothing flashy about the birth of Christ. And then I remembered, well, it was a bit flashy when the angels showed up, you know, and light shone around and all of that, but nothing flashy about the actual birth of Christ. The circumstances of Jesus' birth were profoundly unimpressive. He was born in a stable. His bed was a feeding trough. He was surrounded by the stench of manure and the company of flies. Ants and spiders 
were crawling over everything. I mean, I assume you get ants in Israel. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah said this, Who has believed our message? Because the birth of Christ is outrageously unusual. It is, it is underwhelming in its occurrence. So Isaiah says, who's going to believe this story? Who has believed our message? Because for many people, it's a big ask to believe that a squawking baby in a nowhere place is, is God in human form. It's a big ask. Who has believed our message, says, predicts Isaiah. And then Isaiah goes on, and this is beautiful. He grew up before him, that's God the Father, like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. That's a picture of the, the arrival of Jesus, like a, a tender shoot bursting out of dry ground. It's picture of a place where you'd never expect life to come. Suddenly out of nowhere, a, there's a sign of life, a tender shoot emerges. Who has believed our message? Later on in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, he prophesies a similar thing with another great picture. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is the picture of Jesus again, another picture of his birth. There's kind of this tree which represents Israel, which represents the line of Jesse, the, the people of, of David's lineage. It's a cut-down stump. Nobody in Israel has heard from God for 400 years. And that's bad when you only get to live for 50. That's generations of people have never heard a fresh word from God. The tree is cut down. It's over. And Isaiah prophesied that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Again, like the root out of dry ground. This is a picture of life, of something new developing out of nothing, as it were. And it's a picture of, of Jesus Christ. And we're told that this shoot that just pops out of this dead thing, it's Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and power. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the, the fear of the Lord. It's a reference to Jesus. Isaiah goes on to describe the, what the Messiah will accomplish. With justice, he will, he will advocate for the poor. And ultimately, he will slay the wicked. It's all foretold about Christ. And he's going to usher in a, a new perfect kingdom that we call the kingdom of God that we experience in part now. But this stump of Jesse that grew out of nothing is going to bring about a 
the kingdom where the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the whole earth will be full of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord. So when you think about the birth of Jesus, think about something, a root out of dry ground. Think about a branch growing out of a stump unexpectedly. These are prophetic pictures of Jesus coming into this world. But it's not all good news that's promised about Jesus, that's prophesied about him. We're also told that a lot of people would want to kill him. Jesus was a wanted man from the day he was born. And of course Satan would want to destroy Jesus. He'd come to destroy him. As I was thinking about all the attempts on Jesus' life, the first one that came to mind was, was King Herod shortly after Jesus was born. King Herod felt threatened that a new king had been born, and he asked the wise men, well, where is this king? I want to worship him, i.e. kill him. But he's outfoxed. So he just decides, well, to play it safe, I'm just going to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem who are under two years old. This was prophesied by Jeremiah. There's the prophecy in the Old Testament. Old Testament, Jeremiah 31. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, for there are no more. And Luke quotes this. The second time people wanted to kill Jesus was straight after his first sermon. It was a real hit. They didn't like what he had to say because he made the point that God doesn't just love Jews. He actually loves everybody, and sometimes he loves other people more than the Jews. That didn't go down so well, so they decided to try and throw him off a cliff, but he escaped. In Mark 3, we again read of attempt on Jesus' life. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Why? Because he'd healed somebody on the Sabbath. How terrible is that? Then after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, that made him pretty, uh, pretty famous. Again, people are now plotting to, to kill Jesus because the religious leaders of the day were feeling threatened by him. Verse 53 of John 11, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. The Old Testament taught us that Jesus would have his life threatened from the word go. Psalm 2 is about that. The psalmist writes, he's prophesying about the future, and he says, why do people rant against my anointed one? Why do people plot in vain? Why do the kings of the earth take their stand against God and against his anointed one? And we know that Psalm 2 is speaking about Jesus because Peter preaches about it, and he refers to the psalm about Herod's actions, and you know that the final attempt on Jesus' life was successful. And our response is to kiss the son, lest he be angry, not to, not to rail against him. 
Psalm 45 also has an interesting promise about the Messiah to come. Psalm 45 reveals in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be God himself, that the Messiah would be divine. And in the monotheistic culture of ancient Israel, that was quite a radical revelation. Psalm 45 was probably written for the coronation of a Israel, one of Israel's kings. And it's a little bit Shakespearean. You know, the guy starts off quite poetically. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. But suddenly in the midst of writing this song or this poem to be used at the coronation of the king, the prophet switches gears and clearly starts to be prophesying about the coming Messiah. And he moves beyond describing an earthly king. And he starts to describe the heavenly king. And that's why he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And look at verse 7. It's highly significant. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions. That's a a reference to the divinity of Christ. And we know it is because the book of Hebrews refers to that psalm. There it is again. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions. It's a reference to Jesus, we're told in the book of Hebrews. Psalm 110 is another reference to the divinity of Jesus. King David was probably the greatest king Israel had, well, along with Solomon, his son. But certainly when David wrote the psalm, he was the greatest man alive on the planet. And yet he writes this, the Lord... When you see it in capital letters, it means Yahweh in the Hebrew. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And you may ask yourself the question, and you need to ask, who is David speaking about when he says, the Lord says To my Lord, he is the king. He is the greatest person around. But David has a Lord, and he talks about what God is saying to his Lord. That too in Psalm 110 is a reference to Jesus, to his divinity. And the psalm goes on to tell us that Jesus will be a mediator, our mediator, between humankind and God. Not just any old mediator. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this weird and wonderful person that just appears out of nowhere in the Old Testament. We're told he was without father and mother and without end. He's kind of, whoop, there he is, boom, he's gone. 
And Jesus is that kind of priest. He's that kind of mediator. Without father or mother, I mean, he had a mother and a father. But in the sense of a mysterious person, he is our mediator. He is divine. In the psalm, David says, The Lord Yahweh says to my Lord, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All of the Old Testament speaks about Jesus. He is its fulfillment. He is the final mediator between God and man. Jesus is the, the tender shoot that comes out of dry ground. He is the, the branch that grows out of the, the stump of Jesse. And all of the scriptures point to that. As we wrap up today, think about Isaiah's question. Who has believed our message? It is an unusual message. But maybe it helps you to see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament spoke about. For to us a child was born, to us a son was given, and the government is on his shoulders, and he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. There's going to be a song item now, so come on up, worship team, as I, as I lead in prayer, and then you can take us straight into that beautiful song, Lynn. Let's pray together. Lord, this Christmas, help us to move beyond the food and the presents and the trappings of Christmas. Help us to recognize the promises you made in the Old Testament and how Jesus nailed every one of them. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see who Jesus really is. Bend our wills to believe in you, Lord. Stir our hearts to worship you authentically. Give us the self-discipline we need to, to take you seriously. And if there's anyone here that's never given their life to God, You've just been living for yourself, drifting through life. Who has believed this message? I want to encourage you today that Jesus is the Son of God. That in Jesus we see God. He is the mediator between ourselves and God. And I encourage you to worship Him. And to open up your life to his, his influence and his control.